you're never going to win. That's not true. Uh, he did not. That's win. not true. Me and Pat Riley never saw eye to eye, and what happened to my man win. So it's not true what you're saying. Well, you it's not true what you're saying. It doesn't Don't matter. Start. It doesn't matter. I was a role was player. You're right, but you know what? That's, right, that's my point. That's my point. Say, I'm saying with your best point. You don't know what you're talking no, about I'm when it comes to championship. I'm just telling you something. Stop baby. you care what you that championship. No matter how much you scream, you loud. That does not make you right. You're wrong. Listen. You can. And I tell you, you're the You're a baby. Stop babying these players. Baby, no play. You don't play. He don't play, play. he got to sit his ass down. Period. He got to repair. He ain't got to repair nothing. He got to stop babying your players. You got baby, that's why you ain't win. He got to I didn't have Dwayne. I didn't have Dwayne Wade and Kobe Bryant carry me up and down the court. So why you don't want to Because I got three finals in BP, Chuck. Because you Google me, Chuck. Google me, You see that? Everybody knew you a great player. You don't know what you're talking about when it comes, Joe. You ain't got to repair nothing. I don't know what we're yelling about. Loud noises! What the hell is that? What would you say you do here? It's Stone's Weekly Dose. Because I'm kind of an idiot. I'm a dumb guy. Brian, you don't have to keep trying so hard to impress me. I already really like you. Your midweek download destination. I told you about Brian. I told you. Come on, man. Brian was just making a joke. I'm so lucky to have met you, Brian. You're such an amazing guy. It's Stone's Weekly Dose. And note to self, don't die. Welcome in to the supposed for-profit venture known as the Stone On Air podcast. Just release it when you can there, bro. I don't know why I opened up the show with that Shaquille O'Neal, Charles Barkley talking over themselves yelling fest. Something about it seemed kind of funny to me. It has nothing to do with today's show. The weekly dose for May, I don't know, 10th, maybe 11th, maybe it was a 9th. I'm not sure. In the end, naming the date exactly when it's recorded isn't necessarily all that important, I don't guess. I tend to be a little bit topical to the time frame in which it gets released every week. The goal is to do one once a week. Used to be every single Wednesday. Then I started doing a trivia hosting gig, which if you listen every week, you already know, over at the feed, and that is likely going to end sooner than later. It might already be over. I haven't decided yet. But if it does turn into something I don't do on a weekly basis, the show will go back to a uh, every Wednesday midweek download destination, uh, as I sometimes call it, uh, and be released on Wednesdays. At least that's the goal so far. I've just had a, a, a loaded week, and every time I tried to finish up on everything I was trying to get done, something would get in the way, either a radio station gig or over at the beer warehouse or trying to get recording here over at the house. So that's everything's just been on delay this week. So I appreciate your patience as this will officially drop, as they say, or be available for download on Friday, May 11th. And I think Friday is an awful, awful day to release anything because it's going to get lost in the shuffle of the weekend. And if it does have any information that is pertinent to that week, it won't be relevant all that much into the next next week, or at least that's the way I look at it. Um, but uh, I decided to go ahead and still do it and not put it off till next week. And one main reason is is that uh, the the awful news that Stump Martin, Marvin Martin is his name, given name. Stump Martin is what everybody knows him by, passed away on Thursday. And I knew that he was in poor health. Uh, I didn't know exactly what. He was a very, very, very big man um, and probably had... Uh, 
complications because of his weight over the years. I don't know. He's, I'm not going to pretend or act like he's a really close friend of mine, but I did work with him for a couple of years, at least a solid year. It feels like it was closer to two at ESPN Radio here in town, 105.1 The Zone. Did a Saturday morning show. I produced it. It was uh, a varying cast of characters that would come in and out and various callers, and his wife, Deb, would call in, and it was... You know, a lot of it was all shucks radio, and a lot of it was swap shop style radio made popular by the the Haskew brothers that, that eventually was picked up by WGOW as a, um, as a as an actual show as opposed to a pay-for-play kind of thing. Same kind of thing that um, that Stump did all those years in the 90s. Would write uh, columns for the Chattanooga Times Free Press, did his public access style TV show, Stump on Sports, and recently had turned it into a Facebook Live show. He was always doing something somewhere, somehow, and then what he's most known for in certain circles is uh, his commitment to high school sports and youth sports, travel baseball teams. He was a coach. He was a commissioner of leagues, I believe. He was a, he, he headed up all these things. I don't know. I don't have kids, so that wasn't that never was a concern of mine as much, but I noticed that he had very heavy involvement in it. Played a lot of ball when he was younger, was a very uh, – lean and 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 athletic young person played a lot of uh, ball growing up and I, I just loved him on the radio I thought he was funny as hell even though again it was a little bumpkin at times it was small town radio but he had uh he had a good mix with the people that he brought on his shows and they would just kind of screw around never had a script never even had a, a, a show plan <laughs> at all which I guess you know you could make an argument that he it could have been that much better if he did, but not really. Actually, what what they did worked the way they did it, and um, I'm gonna miss Stump. And I saw that uh, Mark Weedmer from the Chattanooga Times Free Press did a uh, a piece recently about how uh, Stump really was needing some help financially or 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 something because of his medical bills were piling up. But he didn't ask specifically. It wasn't a pure call to action, or at least I didn't read the whole article. And I thought for just a few minutes, and this was in the last week. I thought, you know what? I never, almost ever, get involved in charity cases or, you know, I let everybody else do that. I don't ask for anything, and I don't generally give anything. I don't mean to be, uh, you know, kind of a, a stingy um, jerk about it, but I just don't generally get it, go down those circles. And I thought very hard and for a few minutes as I was skimming through that. I was like, but if there was anybody I'd throw some money to or volunteer for or help out, it sure would be Stump Martin. And then we found out that he passed away on Thursday. So that is, uh, that sucks. Just plain sucks. That's, I guess, all I'll say about that. I'm going to go digging through my old USB flash drives and see if I can find. I know I saved a ton of the shows that we did back at that old radio station, but hell, that was, that was like eight years ago. So I don't know if I'm going to be able to find those shows or not. But if I do, I'm going to do an entire podcast dedicated to playing back some of those segments. I really, really hope that I will stumble on that old audio. So what to do on the show today? The rest of it will be a regular scheduled deal here. Uh, I'll bounce around on a couple things here before I get to the main topic here of the first open opening segment, which will be net neutrality. It's trending again, and it might not be too late to save net neutrality, even though it probably is. But maybe not. I'll get to more of that here at the end of this first segment. Coming up in the second segment of the show, it is official, I believe, the two-party system does not work anymore at all, period. It's broken, and I don't think it could ever be repaired, not with the damage that has been done with the ideological civil war that this country has now become into. 
It used to be we just disagreed with each other and then, you know, minorly argued about a few of the points. Now we all hate each other. And uh, hate is a tough thing to overcome. So I'll get into that in the second segment of the show. And the final segment of the show, two kind of a split segment uh, topics. The new cell phone driving laws in Georgia, I am so happy about. I am ecstatic that this is happening. If you haven't heard, I'll tell you all about it in that final segment. And the free parking debate was on on the social media. And where can you get it and why can't you get it anymore in Chattanooga? Because now all the South Side is figuring out that, well, this is where everybody's going. We might as well start charging everybody to park after decades and generations of free parking all around Chattanooga. It's almost all gone. Free parking is pretty much a thing of the past and the most recent casualty of losing the free parking is the lots over at finley stadium they contracted those out to republic or one of those and uh well i don't like it i totally get it and i'll get into that into the final segment of the show as well but a couple things real quick shaky knees recap i went on friday saw uh, about seven bands all throughout the day such a great festival such a great time but uh, that's about all i need in a festival like that when you cram a go home, come back, or go to the hotel room, come back kind of festival in that kind of setting in the big city, it is an expensive, difficult uh, night, day, weekend. And I just, I remember when I used to do those things for a whole weekend, and I'm just thinking, how the hell, not even just from stamina and just, you know, age and, and endurance and, and all that, how the hell I got, could I afford it? How can I afford to get a hotel room in Atlanta for four nights while I go to Music Midtown back in the day? Because that's where Shaking Ease is basically held, is the old Music Midtown area in Midtown at Central Park. And so me and my stepbrother went down there all day long. Jack White, David Byrne, uh, Courtney Barnett, Franz Ferdinand, handful I'm forgetting their names and never heard of before that day. It was uh, really good. And the biggest takeaway I came from was I can only do one day of these from now on, and uh, which I pretty much figured that out a few years ago. And David Byrne is weird, man. <laughs> David Byrne is so freaking bizarre. I don't get it. I never have. And it's the first time I've seen him. And I told everybody going into it, I'm going to go into this with an open mind. Because I've always said I only think I, I barely like the Talking Heads. I don't think they're that great. Um, and David Byrne seems like a totally off-the-wall weird, like not a good weird to me. And so I went into the show saying, I will give this a chance. And when it was over, I said, you know what? It's official. I don't like David Byrne. I just didn't, I didn't enjoy the show. I just thought it was just kind of stupid. So Shaky Knees was a lot of fun. And then I went to, came back to town with the run in the Chihuahuas. And then on Sunday, went back to Atlanta, but this time went to the Braves game. And that one kind of came out of nowhere. Just got a text from a friend and his wife and their uh, kids and said, hey, we're going down. You want to jump in the car? I said, uh, yeah, I think I do. It was an 80 degree. Uh, just a perfect mixture of puffy white clouds and and blue skies and almost basically zero humidity. It was a, a fantastic afternoon other than the outcome of the game, which was the Braves getting beaten up all weekend long by the Giants. Lost my voice for several days, had to come back in and go back to work, and then had to get – that was another reason for some of the delay on the podcast. By Wednesday, I still didn't have a voice worth of damn. Then on Tuesday, I did go do the uh, trivia gig. Worst night I've had in forever – and I won't bore you with all the reasons why, but I had malfunctions uh, at, at the uh, at the bar with speakers and all that. That was a totally disaster. Problems at the day job before I got there. And then after I got home, I left the house at 8.30 in the morning. I get home at 10.30 at night on a Tuesday. That's basically how it goes. Every Tuesday since I started this gig, I walk into the house and I 
kind of had to go to the bathroom before I, I left uh, uh, the bar, but it wasn't so bad. I just, you know, having a couple light beers, so I just needed to go, you know, pee real quick just to be frank. I just said, screw it. I'm going to wait till I get home. I get home, and I go to the bathroom, and my goddamn fly has been down for the whole night that I was doing the trivia night, running around in front of people, standing up. My fly was down for two and a half hours. It was a bad, bad, bad day. So I think I'm going to take it pretty uh, pretty easy until Bonnaroo and I say that now and probably still go do something like the soccer game this weekend and then Spirits in the Wild at the zoo two weeks after that. I don't know. We'll see. But So it was a great weekend, and I think I'm mostly caught up. Oh, yeah, one more thing. The AC, I talked about it last week. I tried to make it as far into May without turning my air conditioner on. Well, I've yet to turn either of them on, and that's going to change on a Friday, most likely May 11th, definitely by May 12th, as we've got 90-degree temperatures coming to Chattanooga and the southeast Going to be back into the mid-80s in the next week, but this weekend's going to be a scorcher, so the AC all around the house will be turned on by Friday or Saturday at the very latest. So I looking at uh, Twitter the other day, which is where I use to find, even before I go to Google, to see what is trending, because it is the most accurate place to figure out what is truly trending right at that moment. Even Google can't do it as fast as they can. And I see net neutrality is trending and i don't know why because i i had failed to notice that after the fcc ruled in december on their board to roll back the restrictions that are obama era restrictions on internet service providers and how they do or don't charge the internet and how much of the internet they do or don't make available well many of these dates have been delayed on uh, actually pushing through with this uh, with this move to re- to repeal these restrictions well, they, the dates keep getting moved up and up because the Senate keeps pushing for a vote, and they've now got the vote that will likely pass in the Senate to at least stall it for now. And I'll come back to that. I think it's a very important part of this. Stalling it is just as good if you're a proponent for, for keeping the net neutrality uh, restrictions where they're at right now, which I am, and I think the majority of people who understand it and many who don't understand it would probably prefer that it stays the way that it is. And I'll give you more examples as to why I believe that here shortly. But stall. Again, stall is a very important part of this, which I'll talk about here more in a few. But this is from CNN. Senate Democrats forced vote to reinstate net neutrality. More than a dozen Democratic senators called publicly Wednesday for reinstating net neutrality protections. And it moved to force a vote on the proposal. The issue galvanizes Democrats and is poised to pass the Senate but it faces an uphill battle in the House and would likely be vetoed by President Donald Trump if it somehow gets to his desk. The Republican-led FCC voted in December to repeal the Obama-era protections. The net neutrality rules approved by the same organization two years earlier prohibited Internet service providers such as Comcast and Verizon from speeding up or slowing down traffic from specific websites and apps. While the Democratic effort faces stiff opposition in Congress, Given Republican control of both chambers and and the White House, Wednesday's event highlighted how the issues had energized some voters, particularly those on the left. And it goes on from there. And so really what in the end it does, if you haven't followed along because this one has kind of fallen off, it was a hot story at the end. It is if and and the cable companies are going to love this. The cable companies want this so much because their business models are in complete shambles and are in ruins. I mean, it, it won't be long. It's just every day they lose subscribers and every day they lose money. And if they're able to get these restrictions 
uh, taken off of, of ISPs, then they'll be able to get more in the game of ch- tiered pricing for the way the internet is distributed. Right now, it is set up as like a, and, and this goes back and forth because I don't like the FCC, but in this setting, what the, where the protections are now is that it is set up like a public service, like the water company and like your city services, electricity, telephone lines, access to, uh, to broadcast radio and transmissions. Those are all things that can't be restricted. They can't be given to only some people. They can't charge one person more and the next person less based on what their preferences are. They're set up through the protections through the FCC. Now, I hate the FCC, but in this situation, I think I'm on board with the, the way that the net neutrality restrictions and protections are right now. So if all the other utilities were the way that they're wanting to get the internet to be, then it would be, well, you, you use a lot of water because you water plants all the time or you run a, a pressure washing business, so you're using lots of water all the time. So we're going to charge you, it depends on how you look at it, less for this and more for something else, or we're going to charge you more for your water because you use a lot of it. And uh, you don't use much water, but you use a lot of Netflix. And so Netflix is going to cost you this much, but your neighbor might pay this much for Netflix because we charge them this much for Hulu. And you can see why Republicans overall want to go with this because in in the in theory, it sounds like it's creating competition and it's creating um, it's it's creating more opportunity to make money. And if they can make four more dollars, if you know if a, if a high end, super crazy, I can't get enough capitalism type gets a hold of something that can make them four extra damn dollars, then they're all for it. And then you get people like EPB and a lot of providers that say they are not going to do this. They are not going to. Even if these these protections get taken away and this vote doesn't change anything, then they're not going to mess with the way that they charge and they're not going to uh, throttle, as they call it, and speed up some sites and slow down others for certain people or certain organizations or whatever. Well, we all know that's a load of shit because as soon as everybody forgets that they said that, eventually they will. Eventually, they will change how they do things because they can, again, make those four extra dollars and no one walks away from four bucks when it's sitting on the table. Got to make money off of everything, no matter what. End of story. That's just the way it works in this country. I'm not overly pissed off about it. I don't love everything about it either, but that's the case. Now, if young people would get really on board with this and get really mad about it because the Internet is their thing, then that could be, pose a problem for Republicans in the, going into the future because if you start charging them more and screwing with the way their Internet works, they're not going to be happy. Some people think this is, uh, this is much ado about nothing. I've seen plenty of that that commentary out there but i also have noticed through a lot of of polling which we all know how effective and ineffective that can be but there does seem to be bipartisan support for keeping the protections and net neutrality as we know it right now from the obama era Uh, overwhelming bipartisan majorities oppose the plan that the federal communications commission has planned to repeal the regulations requiring net neutrality this is from publicconsultation.org from the University of Maryland, based on a survey that they did. At the conclusion, 83% opposed repealing net neutrality, including 75% of Republicans, and as well as 89% of Democrats, and 86% of independents. The survey of 1,077 registered voters was conducted by the Program for Public Consultation at the University of Maryland. 
In this polling, the respondents were told and made sure that they understood that Internet service providers like Verizon or Comcast are currently required to provide customers access to all websites on the Internet and to provide equal access to all websites without giving any websites faster or slower download speeds and are not allowed to charge websites to provide faster download speeds for those who visit their website, and they're not allowed to charge customers who use the Internet an extra fee to visit specific websites. Now, obviously, the websites can charge whatever they want. It's a it's one big, huge marketplace that all works on a completely same-level, uh, fairer system. Uh, just because you have a website and somebody else has a website doesn't mean that you're going to get the same results. That is where I believe that the competition already is. I believe that's where you have to get out there and get in the wild, wild west of this and swim through this major ocean and get your content out there. That's why I've, I've said when I flipped into this podcast world going on two years ago now that it is so awesome to have this vehicle, the Internet, this distribution system that is so vast and so wide and so great for all the reasons that it's awesome or all the same reasons that it's awful. Because you're a, you're a little minnow swimming around in the Pacific Ocean of, of the World Wide Web. Now, maybe, maybe changing the restrictions and the way that the economic landscape were to go, if we were to roll back these restrictions, maybe, maybe that does, gets, opens up new opportunities for smaller fish like myself or other people who are trying to make a living or at least a side hustle on the Internet. Maybe. You know, maybe. I have yet to see that argument, though. I'm still waiting on that argument. And the, the reason you're not hearing that is because either you got to search it out far in the depths of the Internet, that ocean that I'm speaking of, or it's because most people just don't really know. And all they know is as long as somebody has the opportunity to make more money, even if that somebody is all the same old suspects that are already making all the money, then they're going to vote to change it to that way. And the other side, keeping the protections where they're at, are going to say, don't mess with this, keep it equal, if you will, and they're just going to go that way. So then it turns into a party lines thing. And so nobody on either side spends a lot of time on it, except for that one day when it trends. And everybody gets all excited on either side. Generally speaking, I don't think a lot of people have any damn idea what it is. But I think a lot of people in e-commerce world, at least the service providers and the big conglomerates, companies like the Comcast and event here regionally, EPB, and who else is it? Charter and Time Warner and whoever else. They realize, oh, wow, look at this. We can't make any more money on cable because nobody wants this piece of shit that we're trying to offer them anymore. But if we can get ourselves more entrenched into the, to the as we, they're already internet service providers as it is, if we can shift most of our business to that, we can really, really start making some money off of people. And we can really, really take this awful, terrible, misguided uh, lost business model that they were not that they never went or got around to fixing because they got bo- fat cat and lazy instead of being penalized in the marketplace for not for not having a good business model they found a new way to just make up that cash potentially through these protections of net neutrality coming off that's the way I look at it and and some people might not think there's anything wrong with that and ideologically I guess it just depends on where you're coming from but I like the idea of the internet just sitting over there available to everybody. And I think in the long run, we're all going to wish that it stayed that way because it's going to cost us all a lot more money down the road.
And to bring it all the way back around to what I mentioned earlier when I said I'll come back to this stalling, stalled it out nature, is that I think now the game plan is is to let's see how far we can push this. Let's see how far we can keep this up in the air. And while people are not paying attention to it and worried about, you know, fake outrage stuff over here, maybe we can keep just kicking this can down the road because we know Congress is damn good at that. I honestly believe that... Don Trump's not going to be president between the years of 2020 and 2024. Now, I don't know for sure that there's going to be a Democrat there, but I'm not entirely convinced or even close to convinced that Don Trump will be president for those four years. But let's say if it is a Democrat back in the next, because we're just look at the look at your watch, look at your where you used to put a watch on your wrist, look at that and realize how close we are to getting ready for campaign season for the next presidential election. It's already almost here. And if a Democrat can get back in there and sneak back in within the next two years, net neutrality is going to stay right where it's at. It's not going to change. It's going to go right back to where uh, uh, President Obama era uh, restrictions and protections are. And so that's where I think the stall tactic is what's going on here. They know they're not going to save it right now, but if they can keep stalling it, you never, ever know. And even if it does flip or they, and it does officially become, you know, I guess it becomes into law. I don't really know how the, the, the legalities or the terminology goes on that. As soon as you can get somebody in there, they can make an executive order and make that young internet using, internet obsessed, internet addicted generation and give them their, their internet the way they want it. It's going to make a lot of people happy. It's going to keep them voting for Democrats for years to come. Or everybody's just going to move on to the next fake outrage situation. And uh, and and then maybe this is fake outrage for people online right now. Maybe that's because it's trending because people are fake pretended to be mad about something that they don't really know anything about. I don't know. I am not enraged. I don't have outrage. I really do think that it's a poor decision to uh, to remove these protections and to, to reverse uh, net neutrality. But all right. So that's not dead, but it likely probably is. So coming up next, the uh, two-party system is really a disaster, and almost nobody disagrees with that. But now the next question, the next thought, the next conversation that needs to happen at some point is, what do you do about it? Uh, I officially have said, I just don't think the way we do things in America works all that well anymore. Now, it works for some quite well, and it doesn't work at all for some. And uh, I believe it all starts with the way our government is run. And I'll look into some of that coming up next on the Stone On Air podcast late in the week for it to drop, for it to be officially available for download on May 11th, 2018. And I'll be right back. to more stone on air that's exactly what i wanted to hear stone on air.com chuck d what up a two-party system coca pepsi <laughs> remember they used to have the deodorant commercials and they, they were both owned by the same company mm-hmm. it's like that's that's been that's been a tragedy it's it's such a it's not the political system is a primitive system it's primitive it's like eeny meeny miny mo. So I'm like, what the fuck, man? It's like people are trapped in this two-party system and you might as well be having a king in a monarchy. What up, bro? There's a Vietnam vet with a cardboard sign Sitting there by the left turn line A 
absolutely love this song. It's by a guy named James McMurtry, and we're going to listen to it for a minute or two. Much mind to him. The VA budget's just stretched so thin, and there's more coming back from the Mideast War. We can't make it here anymore. One of the more prolific songwriters of a generation that you've likely never heard of, discovered by John Mellencamp back in the 80s. And you can pretty much tell where this song goes. It's about seven and a half minutes long, and I'm not one of these you can't make it here anymore guys. They're just gonna sit there till they rot, cause there's nothing to ship, nothing to pack, just busted concrete and rusted tracks. The empty storefronts around the square, there's a needle in the gutter and glass everywhere. You don't come down here unless you're looking to score. We can't make it here anymore. So I'm not a we can't make it here anymore overall kind of guy type, but I do think that we have some really major struggles in areas that I think a lot of us middle class types don't know anything about. And I think that's part of the problem. We just see rhetoric on TV. We just see you just see sound bites on, on your favorite news network, whichever one leans the way you like the most, or that we all do this. I don't mean you, you. I mean all of us. And we don't really realize exactly what it is that's going on in a lot of areas. And a guy like James McMurtry sings about those kinds of things. Uh, just really quick, I've, I went to uh, how I discovered James was at a festival in Asheville called Amjam, Asheville, North Carolina. And I went there with my dad, and I just happened to have a free ticket or free tickets to go to this festival. I got through the radio station, and it was a really nice day. And I decided I was going to go out there to see uh, James, or excuse me, to see Jason Isbell in the middle of the day on a Sunday, towards the tail end of like a five-day run of hanging out out in the cabins, out in the woods, and um, and so I head into into where the festival is, and I'm looking around, and it's a dry festival. It's a freaking dry festival. I couldn't find a drink anywhere. Uh, I didn't see anybody out there drinking uh, out in the open, so I just assumed at their campsites they probably were, but I didn't know anybody there, so I wasn't going to go just walking around campsites and asking them for a beer or a drink or something. Um, and back in those days, I smoked pot with some regularity, and I had a little bit with me, so I said, screw it. I'll just get a lemonade, and I'll just get high and sit out here in the, in the, in the grass out in the field and listen to Jason Isbell. Well, the problem is, portions of that problem is, is that I messed up and got the times wrong. And as I walked up towards the stage, Jason Isabel hit his final note, and the show was over. So I was like, all right, this is a fail. This is a total fail. I've driven, because I'm not in my, where our cabins are, our family's cabins are. They're in Greenville, Tennessee. That's about 45 miles from Asheville. So I was like, I drove 45 minutes to a festival that I can't get a drink at, and I just missed the guy I came to see. Yeah, this isn't working out all that well. But I guess I'll still hang out and see who's next. Next band up or the next performer up was James McMurtry. And I got stoned as I could be and said, this guy gets it. This guy understands um, what what small town middle America is all about. As I mentioned, John Mellencamp uh, discovered him at some, you know, I maybe might have toured with him at some point in the mid 80s. And uh, most people have never heard of him, but it's, uh, it's good stuff. So. The two-party system is kind of what I'm talking about here in this this segment. I don't. I, I, it it really is amazing to me how 
intelligent, innovative, and smart that this country can be collectively and as dumb as we could be collectively as well at times, how we can, can think we can just continue for the next 20 and 30 and 50 and 100 years of, of doing what we're doing here. It's like, just keep doing the same thing you're doing, and you're going to keep getting the same things you've always gotten. You know, the expecting different results. When people say, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and, ex- and expecting different results. No, that's not the definition of an ex- in- insanity. Stop saying that. It might be an insane thing to do. It might be an example, but it ain't a damn definition, so stop saying that. But it is uh, stupid to think that if you keep doing things over and over again, you'll ever get different results. And we are in an ideological civil war, and it's not going to get better. It's only going to get worse. And the connectivity and the way that we can react and how we interact and how just our society has has shifted into a whole new bizarre land of the way things go. I mean, we are in what the movies used to project back in the you know the 1980s and 70s and maybe even to the 90s. We just don't have all the gadgets as far as flying cars and and spaceships that we jump in. You know, we don't have that to that degree of over-the-top look into the future. But we have a, virtually anything else. You want to hang out? You want to have a whole community? You want to live with people and not be around one of them ever? You can do those kinds of things. And the way that we connect is just different, and we're not going to stop hating each other. That's just the way it is now. It, it used to be that we just disagreed and then we moved along. No, nope. now it's you are out to get me, and I'm out, and you think I'm out to get you, and we're not going to change each other's minds. And then you have more rational people, which I feel like I fall into that category. I think the majority of my listeners of this podcast and the radio show and the old, old radio show are probably closer to the more moderate, more, um, in, I don't want to say necessarily intelligent, because I don't even consider myself all that intelligent, but just reasonable people. They're still out there. But we do not have safety in numbers. Oh, no, no. We have quite the opposite. We are not safe with the numbers. The numbers that we have are very, very volatile, meaning that we're outnumbered by the loons. We're outnumbered by the crazies. We're outnumbered by the fake outrage types. We are outnumbered by the people who can't control themselves. The self-controlless are the majority of of the culture, of the society anyway, that matters. When I say matters, meaning the electorate, the people who might vote, who just maybe might vote. This is from The Hill, Michael uh, Koblenz, a uh, opinion piece from not too long ago. When is it? I don't see the date. Whatever, doesn't matter. The two-party system is destroying America. Democrats and Republicans are in a death match, and the American people are caught in the middle. The nation faces all sorts of serious problems from growing inequality to spreading international terrorism, but the bitter fight between Democrats and Republicans has largely ground government to a halt. Partisans on both sides are so angry they can barely speak with one another, much less work together. The most extreme are convinced that the members of the other party are treasonous and purposefully harming the nation. This isn't just a perception. A recent Pew Research survey found that 36% of Republicans thought that the liberal policies are a, quote, threat to the nation's well-being, while 27% of Democrats feel the same way about the conservatives. But what if the problem isn't the politicians or the parties? What if the problem is the system? What if the problem is a system that makes every election a battle between a single Democrat and a single Republican? Maybe the solution isn't new people or new parties. Maybe the solution is changing the way we elect people. Congress eliminated multi-seat districts in 1967 with the passage of the Uniform Congressional Districts Act. It is time to repeal this law. It is time to give the American people a meaningful choice in politics. We have choices in everything we do. 
but only a false and divisive choice in politics. I believe that we need to kill the two-party system, but I'm not suggesting we get rid of the Democrats or Republicans. I'm suggesting we change the system to bring in new voices and new ideas, and for this, we need new political parties. This is a quick uh, two-and-a-half-minute or so piece that I grabbed off of Vox, Vox Vox.com. The American system really, in a lot of ways, discourages participation. Elections for Congress in the United States are based on a plurality winner system where you live in one district, uh, candidates from two or more parties go run in that district, and then whoever gets the most votes wins. Right now, many of our maps are incredibly disproportional. And in a state like North Carolina, Democrats got 47% of the vote, but Republicans have over two-thirds of the seats. Meanwhile, most of us end up living in congressional districts that aren't competitive, where often the opposition party doesn't run a candidate at all. We end up focusing on a handful of swing seats that happen to be narrowly balanced. There's a very strong incentive to vote for one of the two major parties because people don't want to waste their vote by supporting a third party with no chance of winning. When you have 330 million people and two parties trying to represent them, lots of people inevitably are going to feel left out. You have incredible levels now in the United States of dissatisfaction with the political parties. Americans should think more seriously about switching from our current electoral system to one of any number of more proportional alternatives that could solve a lot of problems that exist in American voting today. In a party-less system, it's very simple. Everybody in the state, they would go to the voting booth and they would vote for a party that they like best. Uh, And then at the end, we would see how many votes did each party get, And if you got 25 or 30 or 40 percent of the vote, that's how many seats you would get. And then the seats would be filled by just sort of running down a list that party leaders had made for themselves. Israel, Finland, Norway, Sweden, Germany and New Zealand all use variations on this system. And as a result, voters have lots of choices when it comes to finding a party that represents their interests. And voter turnout in these countries is much higher than in the United States. Another popular system is called an alternative vote system. You show up and you have to rank a whole bunch of candidates in order of preference. A constituency will elect a whole bunch of different members as individuals, but it's still going to work out that if 40% of people were for Democrats, they'll end up with 40% of the seats. This is how legislators get elected in Australia and Ireland. And there, too, you see lots of political parties. In the American system, a loss is a loss. So Republicans don't really put resources into House races in Massachusetts, and Democrats pretty much ignore a place like Alabama. But in a proportional system, both parties would need to fight everywhere. Then they would need to try to engage citizens everywhere. There's no constitutional requirement in the United States that everybody use this district-based system. Most states could adopt elements of a proportional system if they wanted to. Sure, the connection between a specific place and a specific legislator would weaken a bit, but it would also solve the problems of gerrymandered districts and break the two-party hold in our political system. You would get a wider range of views represented, you would get a wider range of talents involved in the system, and you would have more people feeling that they're represented. And if I had my uh, my old iPad that uh, is not working right now, and my, my hotkey buttons where I have all my office space audio, and I had it loaded up right now, I could hit when Peter goes to the Bobs and says, well, you know, Bob, it's not that I don't want to work, it's that I just don't care. If I move a couple of extra units and Inatech meets its bonuses, I don't see another dime. Point being that when you feel like what you're doing is useless and worthless, you're not interested in being more engaged and more involved. Perfect example I have is at my last job that ended at the end of last year with the buyout. For the last several years of that company, 
There was no reason to try to do your job correctly or to put in extra effort to try to, to, to minimize problems and maximize on opportunity. It didn't matter because nobody else around you was doing it, so you felt like you were wasting your time. It's not that I didn't have the energy. It's not that I didn't have the, uh, the, the end goal in mind. It's that I felt like I was wasting my time, so therefore I put in no effort. And that's what this political system has become over the last however long. I don't know when it started. Most of the major problems of America are all post-World War II. Modernized, baby boomer and on America is really where our biggest problems have all come from. From the, the incredible... Uh, modern marvels of innovation on just insert whichever sector and area of of the country you want to look at. And, you know, I go back and forth on this. It wasn't long ago that I said, I'm, you know, I'm halfway through life. I don't know that I want to blow this up and start over in a different way. I don't know if it's possible. But then there are also things inside of me that says, yeah, but, you know, it would be good for future generations for the for things not to be so awful and maybe there should be some kind of revolution or movement. I just don't know. I'm not smart enough to answer these questions. But when you put people in a position to not care, they won't. That's why I hope things like net neutrality get younger people fired up. And that's why I like when I see representatives like Mike Carter from here trying to do something with the, to, to fix the emissions problems around here, the, mission, the emissions testing problems, which is a scam on, on uh, the locals here in Hamilton County. You know, we get get people actually engaged and do something that actually affects them, whether on a national level like net neutrality or like a county level here in Tennessee. If you can get people engaged and actually get something done, you know, that I hope gets people inspired. But I, with the attention spans we have, and again, you want to grab new audio, I could go to, to basketball where the owners are talking to Matt and Trey about the, the uh, attention spans being of, of as small as a gnat. And then they look over and both of them are off looking at birds tweeting up in the sky while dude's talking. And that was in 1998. Imagine how bad it is now. I don't know that anybody cares anymore. And so everybody who can get into, ele- I mean, elected office... U.S. politics, that's big money now. That's big business. That's big dollars. And with all these super PACs and all this money being thrown around everywhere, people spending 20 times the amount of money than they're possibly going to make, you know, you know you've got something here that is absolutely, it's, 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 it's not tenable, even though it might be because nobody seems to care and they get to make all the rules and decide how it is they can make four and a half more dollars. And in the, end, in the end, that's what it all comes back to. It comes back to greed and to how much money can we make. And when does ever good enough just be that? Good enough. It doesn't. In, in, in the way we've set up uh, this uber-capitalistic society we live in in this country, there is no such thing as good enough. Good enough is a bad word. And I, I, I do not subscribe to that theory. Good enough is fine. Good enough can be just fine. Can be perfect for some people, actually. But not when it comes... To anything when it with big money, super PACs, politics, uh, th- throttling internets, taking control, losing restrictions, trying to make sure you can control all the money, have all the power, and make all the money. Good enough is never okay in those settings. And I'm not a communist. I am at the core a little bit more of a socialist. And the biggest problem we have in this country between those two words is that nobody knows what they mean. Communism is not necessarily bad. Socialism, I don't think at all is bad. What's bad is totalitarianism. Totalitarianism is what's awful. 
And that people don't really, oh, you're a communist. You don't even know what a communist is, dude. Like, <laughs> bro, you've just been told communism bad, capitalism great. I mean, the, the Communist Manifesto of, of 1848, one of the most influential political uh, publications of the uh, 19th century and into the 20th century. That didn't have anything to do with Hitler or, or, or dictatorship or totalitarian rule. We're just a bunch of name callers in this country. Oh, you're a pinko commie fag. Oh, yeah, you're just a blah, blah, blah. You know, you don't even know what they're talking about. But, yeah, totalitarian rule, bad. Communism has lots of good aspects to it, but overall is a mostly broken system. Socialism, especially the way that, you know, the Bernie bros, democratic socialism, has lots of good things to it as well. Capitalism has lots of good things in it also, and it has lots of really crummy, awful things in it too. And when people run around saying, and this is another one of those they throw around and dimwits and numb nuts who are either not old enough or experienced enough or just ignorant and don't understand going around... Oh, yeah, well, if, uh, if communism is so great, then how come it doesn't work anywhere else? How come all the rest, around the rest of the world doesn't work? You've heard that one many countless times in your life, right? Well, if it's so great, I mean, just look, it doesn't work anywhere else. What, what, what world do you live in? How sheltered can you possibly be to not be able to look around at the thousands of years for sure that this world's been around and the more like millions of them have but in the modernized civilized world of thousands of years we'll even just say 500 to a thousand years that you can look around this huge globe and say that we have the only system that actually works when the argument can be that the system we have doesn't work at all but yet look around at the countless countries all around the world that do just fine in a system different than ours (laughs) it's just it's oh god shut up And all that, those are all reasons as to why the two-party system will never go away. Because those two parties, it's just enough of a gamble, a roll of the dice, that they'll be able to continue to just manipulate the electorate and continue to have just enough power to keep just enough amount of right money flowing. And the super PACs are getting rich, and the corporations are getting rich, and the politicians are getting rich, and and then they're fooling everybody into thinking that that they're doing you all a favor, and then we're uh, crazy amounts in in debt, and then one person acts like, one party acts like they care about that, and then the other acts like they do, and they're both liars. Nobody cares about the debt. Borrow money, borrow money, borrow money, spend money, spend money, spend money, threaten, fight, argue. That's what we do. That's what it is. It ain't going to change. I went around the world to go uh, almost nowhere. I walked around the world twice and went three steps right over here to where my gin glass is empty. And I'm going to go make one more drink for the final segment of the show and bring it back home a little bit more locally here in Chattanooga, Tennessee. We have new Georgia driving, distracted driving laws, and free parking is basically non-existent in this town. And people are mad about it. And I'm not going to act like I'm happy about it or think it's good. But, you know, it was a nice ride. It was a nice run of free parking. It's pretty much over. I'll get into both of those coming up next on the Stone On Air podcast, a weekly dose for May, whatever the hell day I get around to posting it. We'll work for food, we'll die for oil, we'll kill for power, and to us the spoils. The billionaires get to pay less tax, the working poor get to fall through the cracks. Let them eat jelly beans, let them eat cake, let them eat shit, whatever it takes. They can join the Air Force or join the Corps if they can't make it here anymore. 
president wants to admit it or not You can read it in the paper, read it on the wall Hear it on the wind if you're listening at all Get out of that limo and look us in the eye Call us on a cell phone, tell us all why In Dayton, Ohio, or Portland, Maine Or a cotton gin out on the great high plains It's done closed down along with the school and the hospital And the swimming pool Dust devils dance in the noonday heat There's rats in the alley and trash in the street Gang graffiti on a boxcar door We can't make it here anymore Stone on Air will be right back He's cool Stoneonair.com It's not looking for spaces Just put it in a garage Look, I have my system First, I look for the dream spot Right in front of the door and I slowly expand out in concentric circles. No, come on, George, please put it in a garage. I don't want to spend an hour looking for space. You can't park in a garage. Why? I don't know, I just can't. Nobody in my family can pay for parking. It's a sickness. My father never paid for parking. My mother, my brother, nobody. We can't do it. I'll pay for it. You don't understand. Garage. Can't even pull in there. It's like going to a prostitute. Why should I pay when if I apply myself, maybe I could get it for free? Yeah, paying for parking's a real drag. But it's becoming a thing in Chattanooga, Tennessee. This is a band called Dispatch. It's called Painted Yellow Lines. Kind of works. Roads, parking. I don't know. It's a new music discovery, as we would call it over at Alt 98.7, the radio station that I hang out on Monday through Friday, 3 to 7. I certainly do appreciate if you'd give it a listen. Might be your thing. It might not. Same thing I tell them on the radio. Appreciate it if you'd listen to the uh, podcast. It might be your thing. It might not. But it's been fun to learn a bunch of new, uh, newer music I wouldn't have gotten anywhere else. Again, this is Dispatch and Painted Yellow Lines. There seems to be two things we've talked a lot about in the city of Chattanooga through social media and uh, letters to the editor, if anybody still does that, and other message boards, if anybody still does that, is that uh, two things. Parking has been the most recent, and then the bike lanes. And I'm not going to go into the bike lanes right now. I do want to do another segment on bike lanes sometime soon because I uh, we have a lot more and some new paving over on MLK. Uh, maybe I'll even do as early as next week. But recently, the South Side has realized after 20 damn years, like some of us have been saying this whole time, it's a great place. Why don't we invest in it? I didn't quite say invest in it because I've never been one of those types. But I did always say this is this has got potential. This is cool. This is better than some of these other areas. We pretend to be cool. But finally, people are realizing, oh, right, okay, everybody's hanging out on the South Side of town. And we got a lot of free parking down here. 
and the most prevalent of the free parking was at Finley Stadium. And I don't know. I can't. I'm terrible at guessing. Like, I can't look at a, a parking lot or a group of people and, and guess how many spots they are. But I would say for a 22,000-seat stadium, there's probably, I don't know, 750 spots maybe. You know, maybe it's closer to 1,000. Uh, maybe it's 500. I, I don't know. But there's a lot of spots on the north and south side of Finley Stadium. It's been there for over 20 years now. And then a lot of parking all on the side of the pavilion. Now, it wasn't a destination place, so people never make it a point to turn that into pay parking. Now, certain events had pay parking. Mox Games, paid parking. Uh, different events at the uh, pavilion sometimes did, sometimes didn't. Well, now that there's the music venue, the signal there, there's uh, the, the brewery, a new brewery coming in uh, soon. There were constructions going on over by that big red building that's right next to the pavilion. It's being renovated. And then the crappy South Side Social, and mainly I think the, the, the catalyst to all this was the, the music venue over there. And it's a lot of money to be made here. So Finley Stadium, who is funded by the city, and you know the, the, the school pays a yearly amount of money to play, play their games there, decided, well, why the hell are we not making these parking lots consistently for pay? So they have contracted that out, I'm pretty sure, to Republic Parking, but whichever one it is, they have now done that. So my buddy Nathan Gale was not happy about that. He's also not happy about those bike lanes. And I agree with him on both subject matter for the most part, but the thing is, is parking is big business. And my dad has an argument that I like uh, that if you were going to zone to build something downtown, they would never let you build something if you didn't provide adequate restrooms, right? Or there are certain kinds of safety features. So why they allow you to build hotels or buildings or certain kinds of uh, development that doesn't have enough parking? Well, that's because I guess there's big business in parking. And now, so if you go down to the Chattanooga market, you are going to pay to park to go to the market. I don't think this is that big a deal for most people. Any of us that spend any amount of time in the major cities around here, the four major cities closest to us, which I Atlanta and Nashville will be the only two I spend a lot of time in, I ain't going anywhere without paying to park. It's just not going to happen. And it's always been that way here that if, especially if you were local, you could always figure out a way to pay or excuse me, to get your parking for free. And I've always said, and I meant this most of my life, I do not pay to park in downtown Chattanooga. I just, I refuse to do it. Well, the way I make that easy is, is at the corner of uh, Main Street and 19th is my work, now Cherokee Distributing. It's an entire block of downtown with probably 70 parking places in it. I just park there and walk everywhere I go. So I'm always going to have a place to park because my work is there, at least for the next year and a half. It won't be long before I won't be getting any free parking in the city either. And I think it just, I saw some of the arguments on some of these threads saying, listen, dude, this is what happens when you become a big city. When you become more important, things like this happen. And bike lanes go in and parking uh, becomes a commodity. And people, uh, you know, it goes back to the last segment. I got no problem with people trying to make a profit. Making a profit is good. Like, that's not bad. I'm not anti-capitalism. If you can figure out a way to make some money, you should. Now, I think it's sometimes there are expenses you don't want to have to go to to make that money, and that goes off into different branches and different rabbit holes that I won't go into right now. But, uh, yeah, so free parking is basically a thing of the past, and you knew it was on its way out when several years ago we got Unum stopped doing the free parking. That was their big thing. We offer free parking. 
they wised up and realized, that's probably been a decade ago now, what the hell are we letting people park in this lot for free for? We need to charge and make some money off this. And Finley Stadium is now doing the same thing. So the final segment of today's show is something I am so absolutely excited about. I'm going to give myself, it's not myself because I didn't do anything, I'm going to give the story, this situation, a round of applause. Because I have been screaming this for uh, probably not 10 years, but at least five. At least five years, starting back at that old crappy radio station, and any other time I get the opportunity to get a voice heard, this distracted driving that we have as a rampant epidemic in this country has got to be addressed. And nobody wants to because everybody's so damn addicted to their cell phones and to their devices and their iPads and their iPods and their iDuds and their iDrones and their iPhones and all that. And it and I, while I have a certain level of dependency and potentially slash addiction to mine as well, it's not nearly as bad as what I see walking around here. And this isn't a kid's thing. This isn't young people. This is every damn age, grown-ass adults, middle-aged, younger, younger adult, adults, and kids. It is an epidemic, and it has to be slowed down or, or, or attempted to be stopped. It'll never be stopped, but you've got to slow it down. I'll get to the story a little bit more here in a minute. But drunk driving used to be normal. Drunk driving used to be okay. The old, you know, at the podunk small town in rural Tennessee, if you got pulled over for swerving all over the road, old officer Bar Brady would just give you a ride down to your house. Well, that's not a thing anymore. And part of that is mothers against drunk driving and lots of just understanding the dangers of the situation and generationally changing how that crime, how that offense gets viewed upon, how it gets, uh, how it gets processed, how it gets penalized how it gets publicly shamed drinking and driving is bad drinking and driving is wrong yet people do it all the time every single day every single night not more than you'd like not more than we'd all hope there is not more than they're used to or less than they're used to it happens all of the time the difference is is the way that people handle how they do it you're not going to just drive around with a beer in your hand Woohoo! i'm just driving this is fun You're going to hide it. You're going to be careful about it. You're going to be discreet. That's what laws do. It keeps people, at least of sound mind people, to do whatever it is they're doing illegally on the the quietest as they possibly can. That's what we have to do with cell phone usage in the car and distracted driving in the car. We have to do this. We have to make it serious. We have to make people scared of it. They're not going to stop doing it, and that's okay. I'm not worried about whether you stop doing it because it's never going to be across the board, you know, ended and never happen again. But you've got to scare people. It's got to make people can't be just driving down the road looking at their phone. They can't stop at stoplights and be looking at their phone while the damn thing's green looking down while everybody behind them's blasting their horns. Those kinds of things, which aren't even that dangerous, speaking of being at the the stoplight, but those kinds of things can't happen. You have to realize that I have to pick and choose how I use my phone when I drive. I have to pick and choose the communication I have when I'm commuting because I know that if I get caught, I'm in trouble, man. And until we get to that point, nothing's going to change. But this is a step in the right direction. So House Bill 673 would increase the fine for distracted driving from $150 to $900 for repeat offenders. It's still not good enough. And it would increase the penalty from one point assessed against a driver's license to up to four points for repeated offenders. Still, not good enough. You got to take their license away. 
uh, as a at a press conference to announce the legislation, supporters said tougher penalties will change driver behavior that has contributed to a recent spike in traffic deaths and accidents. And that's the key word right there. It's behavior. We have to change people's behavior. You're still going to use the phone while you're driving. You just have to make sure you do it more cautiously and take this situation seriously because it is a serious situation. Georgia currently bans anyone under 18 with a learner's permit from using a wireless device while driving. The state also prohibits adults from texting while driving. But local police recently told a House committee on distracted driving that the texting ban is unenforceable. They said it's hard for officers to tell whether a driver is dialing their phone, which is permitted under the current law, or just texting. And I'll get to what exactly is okay and what isn't from the bill that passed House Bill 673 here in just a second. But I'll just I'll give you a challenge. Just while you're driving around and not using your phone, look around and just see the driver, the cars around you. Every time you're at a stoplight, every time you're just cruising down the interstate, anytime you're just in an area where you can just observe people around you. And look at how many times people are on their phones, especially at stoplights. Just look, it's ev- I I bet you it's every single time you stop at a light. Every single time you stop at a light. We're absolutely sickeningly addicted to our mobile devices and people cannot put them down even from a light to a light just look around you'll see it it'll it's it's appalling and it is more distracted than blood alcohol levels being in on where the legal limit is and i will fight you i will put my fists up and punch you in the face and trade licks with you if you would like to argue or fight about that oh there goes brian he's just a, a advocate for drunk driving no i'm not dickhead you're not paying attention So from David Wickert, this is also from my AJC, Georgia distracted driving bill, what's legal and what's not. House Bill 673 would require drivers to use hands-free technology when using cell phones and other electronic devices while driving. The bill says that a driver cannot physically hold or support with any part of his or her body a wireless telecommunications device or standalone electronic device, for an example, an iPod, that means it can't be on your lap, in the crook of your neck, etc. You cannot have a phone in your hand while you're driving. I love it. I love it. Tennessee, adopt it. Everybody, do this. Alabama, Kentucky, New York, California, Montana, North Carolina, and then we're going to the White House. Everybody, do this. Adopt this. Make this happen. It's so serious and it's so important. Here's what is prohibited under the new law in Georgia. Writing, sending, or reading any text-based communication, including a text message, instant message, email, or internet data while holding your device, which can be proven based on your call logs, right? You can, if, they, if they wanted to take that to court, that could be proven. Also prohibited watching a video or movie other than watching data related to the navigation of your vehicle, i.e. your mapping app or GPS screen. A little gray area on that one, but I'm okay with that and also prohibited recording a video. So all you jackasses out there that are Snapchatting and Instagram storying and Facebook storying while you're driving something out the, the, the windshield, out the window, out the back window, you're breaking the damn law. You might as well get a bottle of Jack Daniels, turn it up and guzzle it and take a video of yourself while you're driving because in my mind you're doing the same thing. And if I have the opportunity and I start seeing social media posts, 
of you driving, using your cell phone to take video, I will turn your asses in. I will put it on the podcast. I will make sure everybody knows that you don't think distracted driving and endangering others and being a menace to society, you don't think that's a, that's a big deal. You don't think that that's serious. Because eventually, when we get fundamental generational change, that'll be the same as saying, yeah, I don't think driving drunk's any big deal. What do y'all think? Yep, my hand's up. Don't care about drunk driving. Think it's dumb. Nobody would say that now, and it would be damning to your, to your reputation if somebody thought you said that. One of these days, it'll be the same way with taking video with your phone while you're driving. Don't send me those Snapchats. Don't do it, because everybody else will know about it. I promise you, they will. I'll make sure of it. Okay, so let's see. What is allowed? Speaking or texting while using hands-free tech. That's fine. I'm cool with that. Using a GPS system or mapping app. There are circumstances when you can handle an electronic device while driving, reporting a traffic accident, medical emergency, fire, a crime or delinquent act, or a hazardous road condition. Oh, and you can use it in your hands if you are lawfully parked, but not at a stoplight. Lawfully means off or beside the road in an area open to parking. You still cannot use your phone when you're stopped at a traffic signal. Some people are exempt from hands-free requirement if they're performing official duties, Police, firefighters, emergency medical personnel, ambulance drivers, other first responders, and utility employees or contractors responding to a utility emergency. Best law I've seen in forever. And these are the things that, that, that keeps me excited about the way that American politics and legislation can be written up and, and designed and done in, in real, responsible, real-life, meaningful ways. And I, some people are just like, oh, man, how old is Brian now? What is he? Is he 58 or is he 38? What's up with this guy? No, it's because you've been conditioned to think that it's no big deal. You've been conditioned to think that driving and using your phone and having fun and playing games and Snapchatting and Instagram storying and putting little stupid cat ears on your face while you're driving around, you've been conditioned to think that's okay. Just like in 1965, people were conditioned to think going to the bar, getting bombed and driving home was no big deal. And anybody who acted like it was a big deal was just a prude, was just, you know, old grandma getting mad over there about something nobody cares about. No, the problem is nobody did care about it. Now everybody does. People still drink and drive. They just are much more cautious about it. People drink and drive all the time. And people are going to use their phone and drive all the time. But if we change the perception that this is not just some kind of big brother dumb rule that we don't like to follow and we can actually convince people and realize how fucking dangerous this is then that'll change everybody's perception and it won't be what's up with crabby old asshole brian over there it'll be oh yeah brian's right this is dangerous these cars are human death machines and every time you walk out of your house and get in it and drive 200 miles or drive two miles you are putting yourself in danger's way you're putting yourself in harm harmful position situations that sometimes you don't have any control over especially while distracted driving is limited to just drinking and driving that's it drinking and driving we still don't even put pharmaceuticals or smoking pot or anything else into this it's just about blood alcohol levels distracted driving is dangerous as anything out there that should be taken seriously and it shouldn't be limited to just alcohol consumption and that is all i have for today <sighs> Sorry about the delayed re uh, release of the show this week. Hopefully, I'll be back to Wednesdays within the next couple of weeks. I'll keep you posted. And that is all I got. Once again, Stump Martin. Love the man so much, and I hope to be able to do 
a tribute podcast to him if I can find the audio from those old shows, which just captures a small portion, like a, less than two years, probably more like a year to a year and a half of the time that I spent with him working on a, a once a week basis. And he has been, his, his legacy has already been, has been carved for years. He is one of those guys. He's completely authentic. He's completely genuine. Nobody says, you know, it's not Martin's all right, except for, I don't know, about all these other things. I that doesn't happen with a guy like this. And I hope to be able to put out a small tribute to him. And if I don't, if I can't, then I can't. But I'm going to have to do some serious digging because, again, that show was at least, at least seven years ago. I think it was more like eight years ago. But I save everything. I never throw anything away. So it's around here somewhere, and I'll be looking for it this weekend. Y'all uh, have yourself a great weekend. It's going to be hot, hot, hot. And uh, it's almost summertime, and I am loving life here in Chattanooga, Tennessee. At Stone on Air on all social media. Don't be a fraud. Don't be a fake. Don't lie. Be cool. Love everybody. Love yourself. Be uh, be, be real, bro. I got to go. See you later. Bye. Yeah, I'm